Thank you for choosing to listen to the sermons of the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ. We meet at 2309 9th Avenue in Haleyville, Alabama. And if you're ever in our area, we would love to have you as our guests. If you live in our area, we would love to study the Bible with you. You can call us anytime to study a Bible study or just to gain more information at 205-486-9247. Also visit our website, 9thAvenueCofC.com or check us out on Facebook by simply searching for 9th Avenue Church of Christ. Now we hope you'll join us for a study of God's Word as we seek to follow Him each and every day from the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ in Haleyville, Alabama. When I was a child, there was an occasion that my mother was going to work. And she didn't work very often, but this was an agreement between she and my father because she wanted a new washing machine. So she was going to go to work for a while there, and so we were not used to her being gone. But she was going to be gone for those days. Before she left the house, she gave us specific instructions as to what we were and were not supposed to do. Uh, she told us not to drink my daddy's tea. She made his tea up in a special container, and she put it in the refrigerator, and we were not supposed to bother it. It was a weekend, and she'd already done her shopping. So we were not supposed to bother what we called in those days the lunch meat. And that was the meat that would make our sandwiches that we would take to school. We weren't supposed to bother that. Uh, she uh, had gave us and given us instructions as to what we could and could not eat, what we could and could not do, and we were not supposed to go out of the house no more than the backyard. My grandmother lived on one side. My great-grandmother lived on the other side. So we were pretty safe as long as we stayed in their eye view. Well, when Mama left, we lost our mind. (laughs) We did everything she told us not to do, ate everything she told us not to eat, drank up everything. And I was the eldest at that time. And, And this has been so many decades, so many decades ago. And to this day, I don't know what happened to us. All I know is that we went crazy. And when she got home, I mean, it it finally dawned on me uh, that Mama's coming back. <clears throat> and, and, you know, all of the fun uh, was going to end. That was going to be slow walking and, and crying and uh, children running everywhere when she got home. My mother was a very well-renowned and world-recognized switchologist, and she knew exactly what to do to us and with us when she got home. And, uh, and, and it all bared out just as we had figured because of what we had done. In essence, she had given us instructions. She had told us what to do. She did not just come in and get us just because she wanted to or felt like it, but we had law. We had rules, and we broke those rules. We violated those rules. We violated her trust because we we had a very good mama. She cooked. She was a wonderful cook, very attentive uh, to us, (coughs) she and my father. And so there was no reason for us to be disobedient, but we were disobedient anyway, and we paid the price for that disobedience. 
As I have been assigned, a preacher speaks to America tonight. Uh, that story came back to me as I was sitting there looking over my lesson today because the Lord has told us that she has, that he is coming back. He's been very good to us in this nation. He has made us the richest nation in the history of, wor of the world with wealth distributed more evenly to more people, created a middle class that was unexistent anywhere else in the history of mankind. You've always had the very poor and the very rich, but you've never had what we've had in America for a long time are those in the middle, those who make a good living, those who raise their children, educate them, and have all of those things that they need in order to have a good life. So God has been good to us. Because of understanding of this in the beginning, we put in God we trust on our money. We say it, as I said last evening, we say the Pledge of Allegiance and we say one nation under God. And we've done this because God has obviously been good to us. But as a preacher, as I look at America today, and those ministers in this audience now, and those of us who are elders and deacons and mothers and fathers and teachers and guides, and those who do everything they can to open folks' eyes to the truth. We have to look at some things today, and as an old preacher who's been in the pulpit for 50 years, I have to look and say, there are some things that concern me. We have the most spiritually and historically illiterate generation in the history of our nation. We have a generation of children and people who don't know who Jesus is and many who don't know who George Washington is either. They don't know about Thomas Jefferson. They can't tell you about the Gettysburg Address. They can't tell you the intricacies of the Civil War in the North and the South and many of the issues that are dividing us today because folks don't understand the history and they most certainly don't understand how we solved those problems and moved on from those problems. I've watched a nation where on Sunday mornings that the streets were clear. When we were on the way to church on Sunday mornings that there was no traffic because everybody was either at church or on the way to church. You left your screen doors closed and your doors open and the fans in the windows and the dinner on the stove. And when you got back, everything that you left at home was still there. Now, Sunday is a shopping day. We sell whiskey and wine and beer on Sunday. On Sunday, people have that day as their day off, their day of recreation, of personal entertainment, of personal agendas, and taking care of the things that they can't take care of during the work week. Sunday is no longer a day of reverence in America. It is no longer a day of prayer. It is no longer a day when men and women said, even when we had disagreements as far as scripture is concerned and denominationalism is concerned, there were still folks who loved the Bible, loved the Lord, and would fight anybody who would try to have done some of the things that we're doing now 30, 40, 50 years ago. Parents, as an old preacher, parents don't have the legal authority over their children anymore. Children sue their parents. A young man here recently was suing his parents well into his 30s, almost in his 40s, so he could stay at home and they would still support him. 
And there are many folks who feel as though the parents were being hard and and uh, unmerciful to the young man. And so he sued them so he could stay home. Recently, we've seen a lot of parents losing their lives to their children and children losing their lives because of their parents. Something has happened that the traditional home and the mother and the father who used to have the authority in the house. My daddy let me know this is my house. This is not your room. This is the room I let you use. And I heard that all the time, and it was always told me in such a way that I understood what he was saying. He wasn't about to throw me on the street, but he wanted me to understand the authority in that house. As an old preacher, make an observation. Women are not the moral regulators of our society anymore. Women have clamored and fought and talked and sang and about roaring and hear me roar and all of this to the point that our moral regulators are now equivalent to the men. Women step down from their perch and their lofty perch of, of virtue and morality in our society where they raise children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and they have stepped down. Femininity which at one time was the most powerful thing in the world. Now men claim womanhood, and men claim femininity, and women allow it to happen. At a time when women themselves had to go through so many physical pains and discomforts because of their architecture as God made them, now a man can simply wrap himself in duct tape and put on a dress and a wig and call himself a woman, and women allow it. So the femininity that belonged only to you has now, that itself has been taken from you. And now a man can own that title of woman. The rights, the riches of our nation, and as being the richest nation in the world, has a population that's declining in education. We have a nation where we're having more and more individuals who are illiterate. We have children who have gone to school for 12 years and can't read or write, who still read and write on a second and third and fourth grade level. We have all of this, these blessings, but we have a rising illiteracy, while many other places in the world are turning out scientists and mathematicians who are trying to figure out a way of taking our land. Almost 5 million men and women are locked away in prisons today, costing us a tremendous amount of money every day. While we have turned away from our virtues and our knowledge of the word of God and our traditional values, crime continues to go up as our land becomes a more dangerous place. As an old preacher, I look at this, and I'm wondering, all the while I'm looking at it, and all the while we're talking about the family structure falling apart, all the while we're talking about men abdicating their position in the home, all the while we talk about the suicide rate rising and the age of those committing suicide goes down, while young people go online so they can find out who's bullying them, because their opinion of themselves depends upon what others think of them to the extent that many of them would rather die than have some of their friends say something bad about them online. Why has all of this happened? 
as an old preacher, we look at this and we realize that we are God's people. We are a nation that was based on God's principles and God's law. We are a people who decided that we did not want to follow godless monarchies, but that we were going to write a constitution that gave every man a right to vote and brought us together as a nation, one nation under God. We as God's people, as we look at America today, we've got to be watchmen. We've got to open our eyes. We've got to be the men and women, those who know what's right, those who stand for what's right, and those who warn other people. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 5 and verses 6, Paul says to the brethren something that every one of us need to take to heart. Paul said, you are the children of light, the children of the day. We are not of the night, nor are we of the darkness. We are to be prepared. Therefore, Paul said in verses 6, Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. Let us maintain self-control so that we can maintain control of those things that happen around us. We as Christians are not supposed to be ambushed and blindsided by those things that are happening around us because we open our eyes and we watch and we are sober as God has commanded us to be. And in verses 3 of that same passage, Paul tells us why we are not to be ambushed and why there are so many people shaking their heads and scratching their heads. As an old preacher, I'm wondering what in the world are you surprised about when we were warned of these things over 2,000 years ago. The Apostle Paul says, For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them. In the Roman Empire, the great golden empire that stood for 500 years, peace and safety was the slogan of the Roman Empire. Peace and safety was something that the centurions said to one another, something that the soldiers said to one another, something that the politicians said to the people because peace and safety is what the Roman Empire promised its people. The Lord said, as Paul is speaking, Paul was very aware of peace and safety as being a slogan of this powerful nation where its soldiers wielded that two-edged sword where their armory was that that had conquered the world. That's why Paul says, when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction come upon them. Paul understood that the Roman Empire would fall. It would be those feet of part iron and part clay that Daniel talked about when he interpreted Nebuchadnezzar's dream. And even though they cried peace and safety, their nation still fell because it was divided from the inside. And today when we as Americans, when we look among ourselves and we cry peace and safety, as I said last evening, when we look at our military might, when we look at our financial might and Wall Street and our companies that continue to grow and prosper, when we look at our job creation rate and right now, that we have the best job creation, they say, that we've had in, in decades and in generations. But if we cry peace and safety, 
without looking to him who is the prince of peace and the one that assures us of safety, we as Americans are setting ourselves up in the same way that the Romans did over 2,000 years ago, only to see everything that they had created and built come tumbling down because they had become a godless, idolatrous nation. Paul said and to the brethren in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verses 5, after warning the brethren that the time will come, when men will not endure sound doctrine, Paul said, but heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. Tell me something good. Tell me what I want to hear. Scratch my back. Scratch my ears. I'm okay. You're okay. Tell me what I want to hear. Don't tell me the truth. In essence, Paul said, but watch thou, Timothy, here's what you do. How do we combat this evil? Do we sit around and moan and groan and murmur and complain? Do we talk about doom and gloom and how we can't change it and stop it? No, we were never told, as I told you last evening, that we were told to resist the devil and he will flee from us. We were never told to run from the devil. We were told to put the devil on the run. And what we as Americans, and especially we as Christians, have got to do today is put the devil on the run. No, not throw up our hands. No, not give up and surrender. No, not have an armistice with those things that are wicked and evil and rotten and no good. But instead, speak up, stand up, and fight and do the things that we have to do so that the Lord can see that we're the light that he commanded us to be. Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verses 5. Paul said but watch. But watch. But watch thou in all things. Paul says. Endure afflictions. Endure afflictions. Paul said do the work of an evangelist. Make full proof of thy ministry. Notice what Paul said. Watch. Watch. Folks said Paul was strong. Paul said, I've been shipwrecked, I've been beaten, I've been caned, I've been stoned, I've been snake bit, I've been chained to a Roman soldier for two years. Folks said, Paul endured because he was strong. No, you're wrong. Paul did not endure because he was strong. Paul was strong because he endured. When you endure, you become stronger. When you endure, you become tougher. When you endure, you become more faithful. Paul became strong because he did not quit. Paul said, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. And if we allow, as an old preacher talking to the church... If we allow the Lord to strengthen us, strengthen us, and depend upon his strength, how dare we think that the devil is stronger than the Lord? How dare we think that a lie is stronger than the truth? How dare we think that the grace of God is weaker than those things bequeathed by the world and the devil? God wants us to know that if we stand he will stand with us. The old preachers and old teachers and old prophets of old, they stood and they watched the admonition to watch, to watch, to become watchful. In the book of Revelation chapter 3 and verses 2, the admonition is a rebuke. 
You have not watched your enemies is what John is writing to the church from the island of Patmos. You haven't watched your enemies within. You haven't watched your enemies without. Therefore, in that context, when he says be watchful, it really means become watchful. It implies that nobody is shepherding. That nobody is watching. The seven churches in Roman Asia Minor were becoming weaker and weaker with the exception of Philadelphia. Because they were allowing the things of the world to change them. God didn't tell us to let the world change us. He told us to change the world. We are not to be affected by the world. We are to affect the world. The Lord said you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. And if you go, is is there a football team in Alabama? If you go to that stadium, that big stadium, and all the turnout, all the lights in that stadium, turn them all off. And somebody walks out to the 50-yard line, and you can't even see your hand in front of you. And you put someone at the furthest reaches of that stadium, sitting in the furthest reaches of that huge uh, edifice, and you light one match, one match, and it destroys the darkness. One match overpowers the darkness that no matter where you sit in that stadium, that will hold over a 100,000 people. You can see that one match. Because that one match overpowers the darkness. When the Lord says you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. He's not talking about numbers. You don't let folks tell you where well, we outnumber you. We got more money than you got. We got satellites and networks and TV stations. We've got newsmen and news commentators and talk show hosts. We got rap artists. We got Snoop Deputy Dog and other folks rapping and telling folks what they need to hear. In essence, what we've got to do, brothers and sisters, is understand that we're the light of the world. And the Lord expects you to be light. And it's not based on things being easy. One time when someone came to the Lord and said, Lord, I will follow you. The Lord basically, if you don't mind me paraphrasing, looks looks at him and says, basically, Bubba, you sure about that? Lord, I'll follow you. I'll die for you. And you know what the Lord said? The Lord said, the foxes have holes. The birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man have not where to lay his head. What are you saying, Lord? The Lord said, when the foxes get in trouble... They can be foxy. They can run from whatever predator is after them, and they can shoot down into that hole and find safety. That bird, when there's a predator after that bird, it has wings. It can fly high to the safety of the net, of the nest. He said, but the Son of Man has nowhere to hide from persecution. The Son of Man has nowhere to hide from trials and tribulation. The Son of Man has nowhere to hide from those who seek his life and are trying to take his message. The Son of Man have nowhere to lay his head. And the Lord is saying the same thing to you. He's saying, don't expect this to be a crystal stare. Don't expect this to be easy. I send you out, the Lord said, as sheep among wolves. Sheep don't have fangs. They don't have wings. They don't have tough hide. They can't swim real fast. They can't fly. They can't run fast. 
They don't have uh, uh, poison. They don't have anything. A sheep is basically meal on wheels for whatever predator is after him because he don't have a whole lot. The Lord said, I send you as sheep among wolves. I know they're going to lie on you. I know they're going to try to trick you. I know they're going to persecute you. I know they're going to put pressure on you at your job. I know they're going to try to ruin your children. I know they're going to try to pull your house apart. I know they're going to try to seduce your husband or your wife. I understand that. But the Lord wants us to understand, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. Peter told the brethren, as I told you last evening, in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verses 8, understanding that martyrdom was near, that he would die for the Lord very soon. And he said in 1 Peter 5 and 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary calls his name the devil, as a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. But time fails me to tell you about those men that understood that there was persecution and trials and, and death around, but they stood anyway. Noah was called a preacher of righteousness in Second Peter chapter 2 and verses 5. That he preached and telling the people, it's going to rain, children. It's going to rain, children. And they didn't listen, but he took the, built that ark of gopher wood and took his family on the ark. Nathan, Nathan, who the Lord sent to preach and speak to David after he had taken a man's wife and taken Uriah's life. And after he's walking around the kingdom as though nothing has happened, God sent a preacher to the king in 2 Samuel 12. The same king who had taken Uriah's life could have taken his life. But he stood boldly and looked the man in the eye. And Lord, what if we boldly spoke to men in the eyes today? What if we did what Paul said one time when Peter was wrong, when he said, I withstood him. I withstood him. When Peter got up and walked away, you know the story. When Peter walked away, when the Jews came and he had been socializing with the Gentiles and he got up and walked away and many others walked with him. Paul said, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. What if we, if what if we, if we would stand in that same way and look men dead in their eye when they're wrong and let them know they're wrong before it is eternally too late. Nathan went to David and told the allegory of the sheep, the one man with the ewe lamb. And when David heard the story of the man who had much, who had taken that one man's lamb and killed him and cooked him and served him to his guests, David became incensed. Because David had a good heart. God knew David had a good heart. And David basically says, you tell me who and I'll kill him myself. I'll kill him myself. And this preacher with courage looked the king in the eye and said, you're the man, David. You're the man, David. You're the man, David. You're the man, David. You did this terrible, despicable thing of taking this man's wife and taking this man's life. You're the man, David. You did this. What if we had the courage today to cry out against evil and sin and perversion and corruption and false doctrine and false ways the same way that these men did? 
to look at dad in the eye without fear and tell folks what is true. Jeremiah, who God commanded to stand before the people and speak to the people, all the words I command you. Jeremiah had cried many times while he was called the weeping prophet. But he spoke to the people in Jeremiah chapter 26 and verses 2 and told them the will of the Lord. John the Baptist, who boldly stood and spoke out against Herod the Tetrarch, who had, had taken his brother's wife and pointing out the sin that was there before everybody, even though his head was removed from his body and served to a dancing young immoral woman on a charger, this man still stood to his death. Stephen stood, as we look in Acts chapter 9, chapter 7, 51 through 60, when he stood there and gave the scheme of redemption in clear and concise terms. So there was no way for those Jewish aristocrats and those educated big shots to miss the fact that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. But still, he stood, even when they were picking up stones to take his life, he continued to preach until he saw God giving him a standing ovation. When he looked up in heaven and he saw the Lord standing, he saw this because he had stood for the Lord. The Apostle Paul, who said, I have fought a good fight, I have kept the faith. I have finished my course. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the, a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give in that day, not to me only, but all of them that love his appearance. Today, men have got to stand and speak. Today, we have got to stand and be heard. Today, we've got to be the light of the world and the salt of the earth, as the Bible tells us so. When Peter stood that day before the same bunch that just a few days earlier had said, Crucify him! Crucify him! The same bloodthirsty, heartless people who had watched a young boy whipped half to death on the scourging post and nailed on a cross like a dog and hung between two thieves. But on that day, Peter stood and he looked them in the eyes and said, You men of Israel and all ye that dwell in Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken unto these words. These men are not drunken as you suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel in the last days, said God. Will I pour out my spirit upon all flesh? Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. On that day, he spoke to them and he said, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as you yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and the foreknowledge of God, you, he looked at them, you have with wicked hands crucified and slain. On that day, Peter didn't mix his words. The apostles were not apologetic. They didn't walk away from the terrible crime that had happened when they had taken the Son of God and taken his life. Brothers and sisters, on this day as an old preacher, I've got to say that we 
in America have got to become the voice and the eyes and the watchmen so that we can save people before it is eternally too late. As an old preacher, I can see that America needs a revelation. We need some teaching. We need to understand the word of God again. We need to open the Bible again. Folks need to understand you can't find God with your senses. You can't taste him. You can't see him. You can't hear him. You can't feel him. You can't smell him. That the only reason we know there's a God is because the word of God tells us so. Jeremiah said in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 10 and verses 23, Jeremiah said, oh, Lord, oh, Lord, I know, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. Jeremiah says, I know that if we're trying to figure this out, we're not going to figure it out. If we're trying to work this out, we're not going to work it out. If we're trying to find the way, we're not going to find the way. If we're searching within ourselves, we're never going to find the truth. Oh, Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. The greatest document written by man, the American Constitution, is a document that is based on the greatest document ever written, the Word of God, the Bible. The reason why the Constitution has validity is because all of those men were educated in those things from the Scriptures. All of them understood that all men are created equal. All of them understood the validity of the soul of man and the truth of God and the power and authority of God, that God is omnipotent. He is omnipresent, that God is omnipotent. They understood this. They were flawed and imperfect men, but they did understand the one thing that was not flawed and the one thing that was not imperfect, and that's the word of God. America has existed and prospered because we have fixed our ills and healed our wounds and turned ourselves around over and over and over again, not by our intelligence and our smarts, but because we return to the Bible from our wars to slavery to all of the issues that we have grappled with over 200 years. They've all been solved by men going back to the Bible. What does God say about it? And we can't turn from that. Paul said to the brethren in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verses 10. A long time ago, this old battered, beat up preacher As he talked to God's people, he said, by the grace of God, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And this grace which was bestowed upon me, Paul said, was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than than they are, yet not I, but the grace of God which was in me. Paul said, I am what I am because of God's grace. America has to remember we are what we are because of God's grace. We have what we have because of God's grace. We've learned what we've learned. We've stood where we've stood. We've won wars where we have won because of God's grace. Paul said one time as he was talking to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, 16 and 17, 
as every one of you in this room can quote. Because Paul wanted the people to remember something. Remember something. And America's got to remember something. That all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And is profitable. Profitable. For when all of our problems come. is profitable. When we're fighting among ourselves. is profitable. When the races. When the genders. When the political parties. When the north and the south and the east and the west. When we find ourselves at one, other, one another's throat. Paul said the word of God. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for reproof, for doctrine, for reproof, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly or thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Therefore, in Romans 15 and verses 4, Paul said, For whatsoever things written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. What are you saying, Paul? When I understand the God of the Bible, when I understand the accounts of his character, when I understand those things, his long-suffering and his love, I can have hope. If America would go back to the Bible and those things that we used to know, those things that we stood upon, those bulwarks of the faith that we refuse to violate, we would find hope again. We would find peace again. And we would see our nation flourish again with hope and with comfort and with love for our brother. In Second Peter chapter 1 and verses 20, Peter said one time, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of men. But holy men of God spake as the spirit gave them utterance or as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, he's saying we don't have any private unloosing. We don't have any private origination. But every one of us need to settle on the scripture and stand on those things that are written. We can argue, all three of us can argue over the length of that table. Our brother can say that table is six feet long. Our brother can say that table is five feet long. I can say it's four feet long. And we can argue and argue and argue for days and months and years until we get the standard. And we get a ruler and we put that ruler on that table because the standard will solve the argument. The standard may say that none of us are right, that the table is five foot three inches and not four, five, or six. But the standard will have to be respected. What's happening in America right now? The devil has been successful in destroying the standard. And therefore, as in the days of Israel, it says in those days there was no king in Israel. And every man did what was right in his own eyes. And we see that happening in America right now. Where men and women do what's right in their own eyes because they fail to see and understand that there is a standard and we have to follow and obey the standard. As an old preacher, I warn America, don't get too attached to the stuff 
that we have amassed and hoarded over the years. We become very comfortable in our stuff, very comfortable in that which we have hoarded. The Lord gave a story one time of a farmer, and he said that this farmer had a very good crop, if I might paraphrase. And he looked at his crop and all the things that he had that year, and he started talking to himself. You know, when you start talking to yourself, you need to take account when you start doing that. He said to himself, so, so, man, look at what you got. Look at what you have accomplished. Look at what you have earned. Look at what you have amassed. Look at how successful you have become. So, lay back at ease. Tear down your old barns. Build you some new barns. And eat, drink, and be merry. The Bible lets me know that that night, that the Lord came to him that night, and said, thou fool, what you call me? Fool, thou fool, this night thy soul is required of thee. Then who shall these things be? Basically, the Lord said, because I gave you an abundance, and all you saw was yourself, because I gave you plenty, and all you saw was your own needs. He says, I'm taking it all from you. America needs to realize that we need to continue to be what we've always been known to be, a generous and caring people and a, a hospitable people. Someone said one time when they saw a funeral go by of an extremely rich man, and I've known, as I'm sure many of you have, some extremely rich men. One man who was in the office building that my business was in years ago, he was a billionaire. He wore suits <coughs> that were custom made and shirts custom made and shoes custom made. And he would tell me about who made this and where he had this. Wrong. That was all right. Nothing wrong with that whatsoever. But when he died, someone said one time, I, I, I wonder how much he left behind. And all of you have heard the answer to this a million times, I'm sure, because the answer was everything. He left it all behind because he couldn't take any of it with him. James said in James chapter 4 and verses 14 that, that we should realize, he said, What is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a moment and then it vanishes away. The Lord said one time to his people, Lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust doth corrupt. And thieves break through and steal. God wants first place in your life, brothers and sisters. God wants first place in your life. And that's the only place God's going to accept. God's not going to accept second place. He's not going to be regulated to the side of the cabinet like a microwave oven. He's not going to stand by there for you to call him whenever you need him. And if you don't need him, just be there and shut up and I'll let you know when I need you. God wants first place in your life. And that is the only place he's going to accept. When God looks at us, he looks at his children. And he is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. In the golden text of the Bible, in the book of John, chapter 3, Jesus said it out of his own mouth, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. 
Therefore, every time you sin, every time you're unfaithful, every time you're unloving, every time you're not dutiful, every time you're indifferent, every time you're disobedient, every transgression is against God, is against God. And God takes it personal. When David had to repent after the preacher had told him about Uriah, David didn't ask for Bathsheba and Uriah to forgive him. He asked for God to forgive him. When the prodigal had gone and wasted his father's substance, when he came back to his father, he didn't ask for his father's forgiveness. He asked for God's forgiveness. Every sin you commit is against God. And God takes it personal. Brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, you know, we've got to become men and women who are changed, changed by the word of God, uplifted by those things that are taught, edified by those things that are in God's word. As an old preacher to the church and to America, we've got to not substitute church going for Christianity We've got to stop substituting ceremony for worship. We've got to stop substituting entertainment for edification, activity for productivity, being convinced but never being converted. We've got folks in the church today. We've got folks in the world today. We've got folks in America today who are convinced but they will never be converted. We have people who will always be in the church But they'll never be happy about it because they're convinced, okay, I know, all right, I get it. Baptism is essential to salvation. All right, I get it. We commune on the first day of the week and every week has a first day. Okay, I get it. We don't use flattering titles. I get it. We don't use mechanical instruments of music. All right, I get it. I'm convinced. But the problem is there are too many of us in America who are not converted. We are not converted. We want to get in Christ, but Christ can never get in us. He can never change us and alter us the way that we think, which is why, as I said last evening, Paul said in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and verses 2, Paul says, I beseech you, I beseech you, I beseech you, I beg you, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, because of the mercy that God has already given, I beseech you, brethren, By the mercies of God that you present, present, present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. God shouldn't have to chase you to save you, bribe you to save you, threaten you to save you, beat you to save you. God's not going to slap you upside your head to save you. Paul said, present your body as a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable unto God, which is your... Then he said, if dying for you is the most he could do, living for him is the least you can do. Live for him. And he said, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There was a woman that walked into the bookstore one time, and you may have heard this before. And she says, I want 10 feet of books. The bookstore owner said, 10 feet of books? She said, yes, I want 10 feet of books. He'd never had any such order like that. 10 feet of books? She said, yes, I want 10 feet of books. 
And she kept on until he got his ruler and walked around looking at various sets of books and put the tape measure and he measured, okay, this is 10 feet of books. She said, wrap them up. And he took them down and boxed them up for her to take them with her. And he said, ma'am, I I have to ask you, I just got to ask you, why you want 10 feet of books? What do you mean 10 feet? She says, I've got a shelf on my wall that's 10 feet long. I need 10 feet of books to decorate it. And don't you know that's the way many of us are about the word of God? It's just decoration. She will never read those books. She will never truly own those books because she will never know what's in those books. Those books will sit there as decoration, 10 feet of books on a 10 feet shelf. Don't you realize when the Lord was saying to Sardis, as John was writing from the island of Patmos, John said, you have a name that is alive, but you are dead. You've got a name alive. When we think about America, we have a name that's alive. But more and more every day, we're becoming folks who are dead. So therefore, brothers and sisters, we've got to understand something. We've got to change. Because we cannot allow our fears and fallacies and failures and faults, our frailties, familiarities, our flops, our fantasies, our foolishness, our faithlessness to overcome our faith in this nation. We've got to stop living our fallacies and our fantasies and we've got to start living our faith. The Apostle Paul said to the brethren, you walk by faith. And not by sight, not by fact. We've got to stop walking by fact. Stop talking about how big their buildings are. Stop talking about how much money they've got in their jet planes and their networks and their TV stations. And just start living our faith and stand as the Lord has told us to stand and refuse to compromise and refuse to give in. As an old preacher... We've got to realize that we, as I said, in America, as America looks at his people, the Lord's people, you are public enemy number one. They're saying stop claiming that there is a biblical standard of of morality, only a biblical standard. Church of Christ, y'all stop espousing that the Hebrew scriptures give an accurate account of man's origin. In America, y'all need to stop opposing alternative lifestyles based on written scriptures that you quote all the time. Y'all got to stop defending your traditional views of marriage based on your teachings of that scripture from that old Bronze Age book. Stop denying your children access to alternative lifestyles, gender expressions, family structures, perpetuating your exclusive beliefs as you and you alone are right. Brothers and sisters, let's face it. The devil in America is flexible and a worthy adversary. He knows how to evolve as the politics evolve, as the people evolve. He understands the current digressions and beliefs and transgressions and rebellions of our society. And therefore, he knows how to change the terms. We as God's people have got to remember that nothing will separate us from the love of Christ. As Paul said in Romans 8.35, not tribulation or distress or persecution. 
famine, nakedness, peril, or sword. For as it is written, we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. But Paul said, nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors. The world's going to tell you to shut up, sit down, and stop trying to change America back into something it used to be. Don't you understand that we have moved on? Men now call sin accident. I don't care because God still calls it abomination. In America now we call sin blunder. I don't care because God still calls it blindness. In America now men call sin chance, sickness, disease. I don't care. God still calls sin choice. In America now men call sin fascination. You were just intrigued by something. I don't care. God still calls sin fatality. In America today, men call sin infirmity. God still calls it iniquity. In America today, men call sin luxury. We've got the money. We've got the time. It's our thing. We can do what we want to do. It doesn't matter. God still calls sin lawlessness. In America today, men call sin trifle. It's no big deal. Everybody's doing it. Come on, leave, leave your children alone. Let them grow up. Let them experience something. God still calls sin tragedy. Men in America today call sin weakness. God still calls sin wickedness. Brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, in the end, it's still not what man calls sin. It's what God calls sin. And when Jesus comes back to this world, and he's coming back just like mama came back. When he comes back to this world, and the apostles were told as they stood there on that mountain and looked up, gazing up in the heaven. With all of them standing there, they were told that same Jesus, that same Jesus was those, those nail prints in his hands, that same Jesus with his back open where they opened his back and pulled chunks of flesh out of his body with that whip. That same Jesus with those pricks in his forehead where they put those needles sharp at that crown on his head. That same Jesus that you see leaving. He's coming back again. That same Jesus. And don't you know when the Lord comes back, my brothers and my sisters, he says, many are going to come to me and say, Lord, Lord, did we not do many things in your name? Lord, did you see when I was preaching? Lord, did you see me when I was singing? Lord, did you see me when I was giving? Lord, did you see all of those wonderful things I did? And the Lord said, I'm going to tell them, I, I don't know you. And not only do I not know you, I never knew you. How many in America who are worshiping today in all types of exotic fashions, all types of translations of the Bible, all types of religions started by men are going to hear the Lord say, I never knew you. We were never close because I told you to hear my word, my word. And I told you through Paul that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You chose to listen to men. And the talk show hosts and the news commentators. 
and all the various denominationalists who created religions of convenience. I told you to believe in me. And without faith, it's impossible for me to be pleased. But you believed in everybody else but men. You equated the words of men equivalent and on the same level as my words. I asked you to change. I told you to repent or perish. And I gave you the example. I lived a sinless life in front of you. A sinless life. I knew no sin. Neither was guile found in my mouth. So you knew what to do. And I asked you to tell the world that you believed in me. I stood for you. Why couldn't you stand for me? I never gave up on you. Why did you give up on me? I fought for you. Why didn't you fight for me? All I needed you to do is say, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And I would have buried your old man in a watery grave. You could have risen a brand new person with all sin washed away. Every bad deed as though you never did it. Every bad word as though you never said it. And if you had fallen away, I would have forgiven you of whatever you have done. Brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, that's a good deal. That's a good deal. Think about it while we stay.